All right, good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again, our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. As always, another fun week of interacting with so many of you guys. Very humble that you guys are traveling from so many, uh, really far distances uh, to see me for neuropsych evals. And uh, I'll give you my contact information off uh, how to get in contact with me at the end of the episode. So I'm very happy today to have, uh, I think, a phenomenal guest speaker. Uh, the name is Vivian James Rigney, and he wrote a great book, which, which is called Naked at uh, the Knife Edge. And um, I'm going to, uh, Vivian, I'm going to let you go right here and kind of give our audience a background of, before we get into like the book and, and, and the metaphors and meaning, kind of what your your background is, in, is, I think it's like organizational consulting, Correct. Correct. So, I work as an executive coach, and uh, then I've also working with some of the some of the, some of the senior leaders in big corporations in the U.S. primarily. Um, and my job is basically to help them navigate their roles as leaders, and I do that by getting people to be much more aware of themselves and much more emotionally intelligent. Obviously, that goes hand in hand with that, and also aware of aware of others. So, let's probably say the single most important outcome of being effective leaders create followership and be able to mm-hmm. influence effectively communicate effectively my role is to help people to manage their own energy level in that and that again that sense of awareness of themselves and awareness of others so they can end up being authentic leaders authentic assertive you know, leaders that build that sense of uh, community and, and connection excellent um, so it was fascinating. Vivian has climbed uh, all of the seven highest peaks in the world, uh, including the last one was Mount Everest, correct? That's correct. And it's the seven summits, so the highest peak on each of the seven continents. Well, most of us, including myself, my wife Julie, we've watched the movies like, oh my God, there's no way I would ever do that. <laughs> so it's a, wise, uh, wise uh, you, ha- you definitely must be in a, in a very small elite group of individuals who've been able to accomplish that. Yeah, something I started when I was in my twenties, and, and I just kept doing it and, and slowly ticking ticking them off. And, and it, it was for me, it was a big opportunity to see the world mm-hmm. and experience the world. And you go to places that you probably never go normally, and within that, you know, amazing cultural experiences, lots of learning, lots of growth, lots of curiosity. And, and what I found uh, in the book and, is an incredible amount of trust that you place in individuals that you don't even know with your own life, your own spirituality, your own connectedness. That's certainly not something yeah. one can do on their own. Yeah, in that sense of, you know, when, you're, when your life is under threat from depending on which mountain I was on and, and, you know, the technical challenge with that, you learn really quickly to, your ability to, to communicate is paramount and the trust factor that goes with that, it's, it's, it's inherent and you absolutely rely on each other and, I think a lot of people think mountains is some sort of solo experience to mm-hmm. find yourself. Well, when you're doing some of these dangerous ones, particularly Everest, it really is a team experience. The, the you part comes through the inner journey, uh, you know, the, as you progress through that. But you're relying on people. You're having to trust people. You're having to be very direct with people. Um, and this highly symbiotic relationship. And I think that you know, the biggest tragedies on tall mountains is when, when teams don't perform and we've read many stories about that tragedies in the past where teams fall apart, there's no trust or, or arguments or disagreements or that the I takes over mm-hmm. and the we moves into second place. And once the I takes over, then uh, that, that can be 
quite dangerous. So what was what was uh, the biggest epiphany for you uh, in climbing Everest and deciding to write this book? The well, first of all, walking down the mountain, I it was obviously a big impetus to write books, and most people that climbed it wrote books within two years. And I felt it wasn't the right time. I felt it wasn't ready. That there was. There was a lot to process from from effectively it's two months on a mountain, so it's a, it's a massive amount of time and and, and trauma on your mm-hmm. face with obstacles every day. And I, I thought it wasn't ready, and, and life went on. I got back into my work. Certainly, my work was different. The mountain moved me, and that. And then the pandemic came, and I remember those first few. That I was living in New York City, so you can imagine it. It was probably the most stressful place in the United States to be at that time, right. because you know. Infection level is super high, and people living in close quarters, and, and and nothing, no traffic in the streets, everything shut down. All you could hear were sirens twenty four seven. The sirens were carrying the mass of people who were who were infected and were going to hospital. It was it was pretty traumatic, and I met, I felt that immediate sense of vulnerability mm-hmm. when the pandemic arrived. And it's funny, my, my brain almost went into my god. The last time I felt like this was Everest, and that's when I really had that epiphany of it's oh. time. It's, I'm ready to write the book. This feels like the you know pandemic is Everest as a metaphor in a way. Can you can you? It's a, it's a great point. Can you can you extrapolate on that further? That connection, the pandemic as relates to Everest. Yeah, well, that, I think it was I think it to almost you know one month before the pandemic. We're all going through our daily lives. We are busy. We're we we have you know we have a lot going on. You know, I'm living in New York City, so a lot of stimulation. Everything is happening. The streets are buzzing. Everyone's talking about the new year. 2020 is going to be a record year. You know, everything is, is big. And we're getting into our typical routines. Mm-hmm. Spring is coming. Everyone's planning for the summer. You can go out when you want. You can meet the social events. Everything is just normal, the normal that, that we'd always had. And then the pandemic came and everything got put on ice. Everything was pretty much, everything was locked down effectively. So our, our previous world came to a grinding halt. And all of a sudden, to be with somebody is putting your life at risk. Right, you're just a stranger. So, so everything becomes you have to you, you kind of come inwards. And we did that for a number of months when we were locked down in a, in a, in a pretty dramatic way to reduce the infection rates so of the hospitals could, could cope. And that idea of being in a tent on Everest for two months when you're also with yourself for an extended period of time and the inner dialogue that goes with that the inner dialogue of so so where am i who am i um you know really significant questions that that was the connection that that felt very familiar when i when the pandemic yeah i think there was definitely more of a uh you know i've mentioned this in some of the episodes that the pandemic um was unprecedented and um, certainly unforeseen. And uh, it really forced all of us to confront ourselves, Um, you know, to get out of, like you said, the daily routine of getting up, having your coffee, going to the gym, coming home, doing your work, finishing work, watching TV, and all that just came to a screeching halt. And all of us were left like in the throngs of, of the pandemic to not only confront ourselves and who we are, but who is the person I'm sitting across from, whether that's a spouse or a partner, our children, uh, and which I think, you know, in, in our field has led to such a significant increase, uh, in the rise of mental illness and mental health, where the, where there are not enough providers, um, 
and from talking with people all across the world, it's 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 really just been uh, transformative. And a lot of people have kind of echoed your sentiments about I had I had to sit with myself. Some people liked what they saw; others didn't. Yeah, this, the, the the wonderful distraction of busyness uh, and mm-hmm. busyness with all all this stimulation happening around us, and almost like we can choose what we want to do, where we want to go, who we want to chat with. And you know, for those months, all that stimulation was gone. We had you had Netflix, you had your your close family, right. close quarters, and and that was it. And you know, and if you didn't have family, and you know, if you're living on your own, then you just had you had you, and you had a screen. And I think a lot of people are unprepared for that. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was just a massive, yeah, question. Was, was of, it an isolation? Who, who, am I, who am I without the busyness, right? That yeah. Was, it's, it's basic form. So what, what did, you know, we talked about, you know, focusing on like vulnerability. What would you say your conceptual framework or definition of vulnerability is? Well, vulnerability on Everest was... Uh, going there with the belief system that, um, first of all, I didn't like heights. I was terrified of heights, and that's always been a feature in, in my climbing. Now, I, I believe you're born with that. I, I don't think it's just some magic wand that you can just, you know, yeah, so some, something I learned. I think you're born with it. So every mountain I climbed, I'd have to acclimatize myself to getting past that, and there are various tricks of the mind you can do. Mm-hmm. So, so again, when I got to Everest, I thought uh, Everest – it's the biggest bear of all. It's a huge, it's like an ultra marathon, really. And I thought, okay, I'll just put my head down. I've done it before. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty disciplined. I'm pretty, I'm definitely driven. Um, I'll get there. I didn't look at videos for Everest. I didn't read books about Everest. I didn't want to read, read any of the trauma. I knew it was going to be hard work. So I trained, you know, exceptionally well, went there in great condition. And so I went there with that belief of, you know, I'll figure it out. I've got experience. I'm with a good team, one day at a time. Um, what the mountain does, it breaks all that all, all that nonsense up, oh, all so. that belief system up. Just if I think hard enough, if I push hard enough, you know, I'll get there. It breaks all that up. And what it does is it um, it seeps into your psyche. So this this idea of I and me, the ego, mm-hmm. um, starts to unravel and it starts to unravel because there are times where. You're, there was one profound time, and I'll probably tell you the story, and it's it's, 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 it's pretty much at the core of the book. Uh, obviously, on the, on the summit, it goes, the book goes into greater detail, but I'm at the South Summit, uh, not feeling well. Our lead guide is to my left. He's against a rock. He's unwell. He's physically unwell, and he's ashen-faced and saying, I don't think I can do it this year. He's climbed, he's summited four times before. So he's in, he's in uh, terrible shape. Um, and I had this moment, I was already feeling weak, and I basically um, I started getting these dark thoughts in my mind. And the thoughts were, you're not going to get up. And then a few seconds later, but you're so wrecked, uh, you're not going to get down. And this is going to be your end. So you're going to sit against a rock here or some ice and uh, that'll be it. They'll find you in 100 years. And, you know, dark thoughts entered my mind. And the one thought that entered my mind was a voice I had not heard before. And the voice said, why are you here? And that was, it was, it was an unusual tone. It was coming from a really deep place. 
and I didn't have an answer. And it kept asking, why are you here? Maybe two or three times. And then the same voice said, why are you always proving how strong you are, how uh, tough you are, how smart you are, how good you are, how good, you know, brother you are, son you are, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the answer, the answer was, I effectively, I, I didn't know why I was there. Uh, so it basically that stripped me down to the whole basic level of I didn't know why I was there, which means I didn't know who I was, you know, and I'd done all this achievement, achievement, achievement. I had a wonderful record of achievement and physical achievement in, 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 in uh, education, in, in career. I lived in, you know, seven countries around the world, always pushing myself to the limits, doing well, getting accolades for that. And here the wheels fell off and the book goes into great detail about that entire journey, that roller coaster journey, um, and ultimately coming out the other end, but having to let go. When I think of it like a backpack uh, scenario, like a backpack or a rucksack, as they call it in Europe, um, I had to let go of all these rocks that were in my backpack that I didn't even recognize were there because the rocks were heavy. They were weighing me down. They were exhausting. And the moment I realized they were there, I felt even he- I felt them even heavier because now I realize I've got, I'm carrying this stuff around uh, that's, that's, that's of, of no consequence, but it's very heavy and very dangerous. It's making me, you know, very, very <laughs> unfulfilled and unhappy. And uh, that's the, uh, you know, Everest is a beautiful metaphor for that, a journey of, of, of letting go in order to go back to the person who we've always been. And my premise on this would be, we are born perfect. We're born as, as unique babies and we're precious. And then we're conditioned with schooling, parents, mm-hmm. family, society, all that good stuff. And then we spend the rest of our life back to who we were when we in this world, right? That innate sense right. of personality, that likeness. And therapy and obviously all those great and coaching helps people find out. But it's quite interesting. There I was, this aha moment. I'm going back to who I was when I was very much younger. Uh, and that sense of freedom with that. Um, and how did that how did that experience change you subsequently? It made me much more it made me a heck of a lot lighter. It got me wildly curious, and I think these are these are two words which I think pair well together in this day and age. To be wildly curious means that um, you can understand most things that are happening around you. And once you understand most things, you realize, A, it's, 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 it's not to do with me. And if it is to do with me, I'd probably have a lot more control over it than I thought I did. Right. And that gave me... Um, Huge, huge pause, and ultimately, um, in a way, it got me. Got me. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. One example, I felt when I came down the mountain, and somebody, I told a family member. Obviously, when I was on my way down, I, I connected my family and I told them. I think you called your father, and, you of course, know, didn't you? Yeah, I called my dad and very emotional experience and this huge release of emotion. I was crying intensely for about one minute when he answered the phone. I'm still in a very dangerous area, but I haven't spoken to him for a few weeks. I didn't want phone calls to distract. I was already super stressed. So I'd send, you know, 
emails and, and mess, I'd leave voicemails and that was my way of just, you know, focusing on what I needed to do. I knew they were obviously very worried about me and then I called him and this massive release of emotion and then we had a, a very short, very nice discussion and he told me he was very proud of me and that our family didn't really use the, the, the L words, the love words, a, a lot of us, the expectations were very high and uh, you know, he told me he was very proud of me and himself and my mother very proud of me. And that was a very powerful moment to hear that. And it was coming from a really genuine place. It was an aha moment. I got to the bottom of the mountain and I spoke to another family member. And they said, listen, I heard you can speak to dad. And I heard he's, you know, congratulations and we're all proud of you. And that's great. And and he told me you were saying how difficult it was. and You almost didn't do it. Now, listen, Vivian, you don't need to be telling people how difficult it was. The main point is you got to the highest point on earth. It's your seventh of seven summits and the very few people you've achieved and you've achieved. And the moment I heard that, Corey, I, I felt this anger inside me and the anger was, was like, geez, this, this whole thing I've been through, I, I cannot take on board what they're telling me because it's, it's, it's what I've left behind. That is the story I need to be telling people. The story that I, you know, it was incredibly difficult. The story that I was at South Summit, almost at the top, and I didn't know why the heck I was there. The story that I peeled me back to nothing and left me naked, as in the title of the book, Naked the Night Fetch. And, and, and I, I felt hugely empowered at that moment by, by getting frustrated with my family and saying, you know, you guys don't get it. I got finally it clicked in my brain. But the story is the truth. The truth is where the power is. And previous to that, I, I could feel that, you know, the way I'd grown up and whatever, it was almost like failure was, you know, it feels like you've almost soiled yourself. So, so you had to really, you know, push on and not focus on that. It was always focusing on achieving and putting the best side out, best side out and moving on. And, and I realized it was all nonsense. So it was a huge aha moment, and I felt I could feel a surge of strength coming with the with the anger, <laughs> because sure. the strength was an immediate peace. Because it was like, wow, now I realise why I carried that up the mountain. Like it wasn't me; it was the environment around me which conditioned me to that. And now I'm letting go completely, and I feel as though I had the keys to my uh, to my kingdom. Uh, and it was a profound moment of strength and uh, extremely humbling, but wonderfully soothing so that was probably the most soothing part of the mountain was you know no one gets to decide on that apart from me well well put uh, incredibly powerful um i guess my question would be is you know we deal with a lot of patients who really can't seem to get a, get get it out of out of their own heads uh, recognize their baggage, uh, let go of their baggage once they do recognize it. Um, what advice would you give to individuals who may not be climbing Mount Everest, but are struggling with their own bags, their own demons, their own night vultures, um, and and how they can get to a sense of, of a higher degree of self-awareness? I think it uh, starts with... Um word shame and I think it's a powerful word because interesting word I think I think most of us uh, carry that word around with us and shame is no place 
in our in our worlds. And I think we have shame because of things we've done, things we've said, uh, way we've made others feel, perhaps way we feel ourselves. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? This idea that we carry this burden from something that happened in the past, whether that be mm-hmm. you know a day ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago. Which means we're stuck, and if we embrace the idea that if we're curious about understanding things, curious about learning, curious about uh, what's going on, it allows us to to grow. And if we grow, we can do better. You know, I may have had an interaction with somebody ten years ago, and it was just a, such a difficult. It was a difficult reaction, and uh, and I feel bad about it. But if I understand that, if I understand what happened, if I I can improve on that, I may never meet that person again. Maybe I met them in some part of the world, and the interaction was difficult. But I can learn from that, and if I can learn from that, I can make peace with myself and say I'll never do that again. Like I I figured it out. Um, so that's something something that's profound. If if, we're, if we have turned that curiosity towards ourselves, mm-hmm. we can understand that through an ability of learning and growing, we can do better, and we are a work in progress. And I think that is very soothing for people. Yeah, where they have shame. We're a work in progress, and that comes with humility to admit this was me before. This is what drove me. This is what led me to that. This is what I figured out. I I own that now, and I think there's. The book talks about finding a voice in in common terms with that and being able to share that voice. And it's very compelling to other people. And sometimes a shame is where we don't even know where to start or where to finish. Uh, we, we don't have the words to express uh, what we did or what we've learned from that. But finding those words, and, and some of those words, most of them are probably internal, once we make peace with ourselves, it gives a sense of uh, peace and that translates into a healthier uh, mind and soul, um, and that's uh, probably one thing I think that for me it was, it was very, very liberating. So curiosity and hunger for understanding means we can be better one day at a time. And it sounds a bit cliche-ish, but there's enormous power in that. And the other thing is that a lot of people these days, and we have social media pressures of social media, you know, Instagram, and Twitter, and there's Facebook, and there's all of that stuff. And there's a huge propensity at TikTok of people to, particularly younger people, to be to be hyper aware of how they're seen, mm-hmm. right? And almost like my share price, how's my share price? Is it up? Is it down? And, and people are hyper concerned. And this idea of relying so much on what others think of us, as opposed to uh, being at peace with ourselves. And it's funny. I was like, I'm a haircut this morning, and I was out there, and. Uh, I was just getting, I was waiting to get my hair washed before I got the job. And uh, there were two people there, and they were having a good old, good old um, argument. They were having it, they were sharing a, a chat about somebody. And then they were saying, and then she did that to me. And then she hurt me. She hurt me, and she did this, she did that. And I just listened to myself, and I said, oh my God, you know, that's, nobody can hurt us. Nobody can hurt us with their words. When we're children, of course, we're super sensitive to that because we don't have the skills necessary right. to, to it. But as adults, nobody can hurt us. 
it's 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 if people are where they are, and if we direct that sense of hurt or sense of of um, people one-upping us and that emotional reaction, if we orient that toward curiosity about where's that coming from, and then what is it about them for them to be saying that? What's feeding that? Uh, we have enormous power. I think in, in not allowing that to penetrate, so we can become Teflon-like in a way. Right. And we understand the premise. If we believe we are good people um, and doing our best, and every day we'll do a little bit better. Maybe it's one percent or points ten points one percent better every day. Every day we're going to do that. It's very hard for other people to break that seal and get into us because other problems are their problems, their issues, their concerns. We can be empathetic for all those. But as long as we have this premise, we're, we're going to do our best. Uh, we don't have to allow our negative energy to penetrate. And I think in this day and age, that um, uh, that's a big concern you see with people in suicide rate. And young people, it's it, it's so sad to see this having a huge influence on them. Things that they 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 um, they're concerned with that, that really are about other people's issues in, in many cases. And there's there's there, there's two quotes that I. I use a lot with with my patients and and one is by Eleanor Roosevelt and she said no one can make you unhappy without your permission and Abraham Maslow said learn to become independent of the good opinions of other people and I think that's tremendously powerful you can on the same wavelength that I am that that we are the architects of our lives and we need to own what's our stuff and not own other people's stuff and and be responsible be humble and learn. I would say there's a reason the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that from Elmer Roosevelt. It's excellent. No one can make you unhappy without your permission. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, a, there's a lot of power and truth to that. And you see that a lot yeah. with, with uh, a lot of times with depression and anxiety. You know, there's that internalization, that negative self-talk like you talked about. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. Or a lot of blame, like my family wasn't there and whatnot. But when you realize how much power the human spirit has to overcome things, it, it takes work. You know, you know, climbing Everest didn't take you a day. It took, took, took work. Even, 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 yeah. even questioning yourself. Two months of... Um... Yeah, two months of the journey. So that uh, that that time actually forces it. It, it you know, so so much nowadays about immediate gratification or as as close to immediate as we can do it. And and when you're two months on a mountain in a, in a cold tent, you realize that immediate gratification is is for the birds because it's not happening. And mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of you're 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 grinding it out, you know, uh, you know, over sixty days, and, and that's a lot of hours to be in your own head. So. Well, I think not to suggest that anyone should do Everest. <laughs> <laughs> strongly, I strongly suggest not to do it. I'll stick with um, watching the movies, Vivian. Right, right. I, I just get wildly <laughs> curious. So, you know, but the, but the the, the book is excellent, and I truly appreciate you taking the time to be on our program. I think it will inspire and help a lot of people. As as your message, you articulate it incredibly well, and it will definitely resonate with our with our audience. So much appreciation. Yeah, thank you. And there's also an audio version. So if somebody can handle the dulcet tones of an Irish guy walking, climbing Everest, then it's on. It's on Audible as well. So and that gives a different angle. And it's funny when I did the audio book, I I felt as though I was back on the mountain. It's quite an unusual 
experience. Sure, uh, sure. So that's, it's just a different dimension of the same book, but ebook, audiobook, and obviously it's in hardback as well. Well, it was so absolute pleasure. Um, you have my contact information if you want to reach out or reconnect or talk again, I'd be more than happy to. Yeah, great. Well, listen, thanks, Corey, for, for uh, the interview and, and great questions. And I hope your listeners gain something from it. I sure they will. The very best. Take care, Vivian. Okay, take care. Well, I hope you guys found that to be informative and productive, and I think his perspective is incredibly important, and I've talked about this in multiple episodes about the power of the human condition, the power of the human spirit. Uh, It takes work, it takes time, it takes effort, but with the vast majority of psychiatric conditions, they can be overcome. Um, there may be medications, maybe psychotherapy, uh, maybe having to distance yourself from people in your lives that are toxic, that are uh, having a negative impact on you. But you know, resiliency uh, is a topic in and of itself that I could do an episode on at a different point in time. Uh, I would certainly encourage you to check out the book Naked at the, at, at the Knife Edge because it really gets into detail of Vivian's mindset and um, it was incredibly powerful, and I think it was great to have him on. So until next week, um, feel free to reach out to me at psychologyunpluggedoutlook.com. Through Psychology Today, you can get a hold of me directly, 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time. Until next week, everyone, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I will talk to you then. Bye. I write. I write. Oh, yeah.